Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, the Rays won 100 games. Best record in the American League, best record in franchise history. They start the American League Divisional Series tonight against the Boston Red Sox. And to break it down for us is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, the question the Rays are tired of, how do they keep winning? <laughs> well, I could write a couple thousand words about it, which I think I did for the <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay Times. Or we could talk <laughs> yeah. about it for probably three or four hours and... Um, it, it's an amazing story, Rick, and, and we probably it, it's it's like you know when you 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 watch your kids grow on a daily basis, and then the relatives who haven't seen them for a year they marvel at them. You know, like <laughs> we probably don't appreciate it because we're here watching and following, and, and I have the privilege of writing about it every day. But if you just kind of popped back into the U.S. and you'd been you'd been on Antarctica for somewhere for you know last six or seven years, you'd be like the Rays are back in the playoffs for the seventh time in fourteen years. They won the AL East in back to back years. They're going to they you know they have a chance to go to the World Series for a third time like wow this is the Tampa Bay Devil Rays remember they never won seventy games and then here they are so it's been interesting and um, there there is a lot to it but I think you know if you really boil it down and and um, first of all they have good players which you know the reason that they're tired of talking about it is Kevin Cash right when he put it the other day was he said I'm pissed off we have good players why do people keep asking but but it is mm-hmm. more than that and he knows that and. I mean, they are brave, they are bold, they are willing to do everything that nobody else wants to do and anything that is worth trying. And Eric Neander, who was general manager, now promoted to president of baseball operations, he explained it. Their their culture, he, he said, if you were going to rank things, it's try and succeed, number one, try and fail, mm. number two, and don't try is like number 12, kind of mm. on their mantra. And, you know, they want to try things, they're willing to admit that they were wrong, they're willing to be humble, they have humility, they, they hate when they get referred to as the smartest guys in the room, even though they are really smart. Uh, and, you know, they, they have to do that. They have to find ways to make up for the financial imbalances of the teams they compete against. And some of that's self-inflicted. They put their own budget limits on there, obviously, but that is how it is if you're with the Tampa Bay Rays, and, and they just figure out these ways. They make trades, they make signings, they get guys that weren't good elsewhere, and they, they kind of stay positive with them and, and put in their heads, here's you do good, this is what we want you to do for us. They platoon, you know, some of the parts kind of philosophy. You know, go around and look at look at a team that has a better catching output for the year than what mm. Mike Zanino and Francisco Mejia have done. Yeah. I know Zanino was an all star this year, but but you know, kind of barely. And and you know, look at third base, Yanni Diaz and uh Joey Wendell. They just find ways to put these teams together, Rick, and, and they get more out of it the way they do it than teams that just have the one guy or, or the especially the one bigger name, higher paid guy. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good synopsis right there. And I think they do have good players and I think that that's missed sometimes, but that certainly they do it um with the sum of their parts maybe than one big name. Um one of the things they're doing different would be to look at their rotation for these playoffs. And first of all, if your name's Shane, you have a good chance of starting. But you just start with the fact that Shane McClanahan, who's going to start tonight, I had forgotten he didn't break with the club out of spring training. Is that true? I think April 29th was his first game. He was sent, uh, sent back to the alt site. And, and I have a story on him also in uh, Thursday's Tampa Bay Times. And one of the things that I found interesting was that the, 
they were planning on him opening the year at AAA. Triple A season started in May. They thought he'd be at AAA for a while, and he huh. just wowed them in his offseason work. And then what he did, you know, spring training, I think he faced 11 batters and retired them all and then uh, went to the off-site for those first few weeks in April and just wowed them there. He added that slider during the offseason uh, and just thought he needed another weapon, and it really has worked out for him. But what a, what a story. A guy who, you know, local tie, obviously, playing at USF, historical mm-hmm. debut last year comes in in the postseason first pitcher to ever make his major league debut in the postseason uh you know wasn't like i said wasn't necessarily part of the immediate plans they knew he'd be up at some point comes up in april and then tyler glass now goes down in early june or mid-june and your number one starter your playoff opener your top starter your most dependable starter is 24 year old shane mcclanahan mm, just a remarkable story and you know, McClanahan said, and, and, and it must be true, that when Tyler Glass now did go down, he it sort of motivated, I don't know if that's the right word, but he, he came to realize that I have to step up even more because we're going to be without our ace. Yeah, and, and you know, again, it's easy for guys to say that, and you could see some guys would, would think that and put more pressure on themselves, or they would fail and make it tougher, and, and here was a guy who rose to that occasion, and Again, his numbers, you know, his last 13 starts, he was tremendous. I mean, think back to that August where he was 5-0 and uh, with a two-something ERA. Think back to that game he pitched August 1st, the Sunday night baseball game against the Red Sox at the Trop and how dominant he looked in that game. So I think they have – I think they're – obviously, anytime you put a rookie in the rotation for a postseason series, you're taking a chance. But I think the Rays feel pretty good about this gamble. And Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach, says he thinks he's the best left-hander right now in in baseball the way he's throwing the other surprise and and i mean if you watched his other what th- all of three starts in the major leagues uh you would say that shane boz is a pretty special talent mark he's gonna make his fourth in in the playoffs i mean we know his stuff is tremendous but i guess what they really like is the fact that he doesn't have much of a heartbeat on the mound yeah uh, a couple of the players we talked to uh, dietrich ends who isn't on the roster right now but it was with him at Durham for a big part of the year and he said, slowest heartbeat he's ever seen for a baseball player. So just that sense of calm. And you know, one Rays official told me, Rick, that the game that he pitched, that Boz pitched his first game up against the Blue Jays was the mm-hmm. best game he threw all year, better than anything he did at AA or AAA. So think of that. You wow. come up as a 22-year-old, and the best game you throw is your first game in the big league. So pretty optimistic they are for him as well. <laughs> Excuse me. They do mm-hmm. think, though, that you know, I think that was a wise move to pitch him in game two, pitch him at home. Uh, knowing they were either going to be in Boston or New York, both places with raucous crowds, obviously, and can really you know seize upon a mistake early in a game and really grab the momentum. The fans can have a big, big impact either one of those places. So pitching him at home makes a lot of sense. And I think you know again, I mean this this could blow up on them. And I think you know Cash has kind of warned that Drew Rasmussen could be used in relief if one of those guys gets knocked out early. But if this works, they put themselves in a pretty good position going forward. No doubt. And Rasmussen had not started a game. The Rays get him. Uh, they starts in the bullpen, and they turn him into a starter, and now he's been as consistent as anybody the second half of the year. He has, and, and you know, he seems like the right guy for that road assignment, and an interesting guy, just trying to gather some stuff on him for a story as well, and, and you know, came over from the Brewers, uh, was a guy that the Rays had drafted out of college, and then he couldn't sign because he had needed a Tommy John, his second Tommy John, and um, very meticulous in his preparation, very serious in his preparation, but a model of efficiency. I mean, go back and look at, at his like game by game line since he moved into the rotation in mid August. And it's like five innings and 50 something pitches every time a couple hits one run. It's just a remarkable show of consistency. And uh, a guy who really, you know, is very uh, serious and professional about his task and really his craft and goes about it really well. 
So how would some of these other pitchers, and first of all, have they, uh, have they announced what their playoff roster is? Who got left off that might feel left out? Uh, Thurs- that's a 10 a.m. Thursday morning, so um, don't okay. have it quite yet. And, and I do think there's probably a couple of tough decisions. I mean, there's probably a group of guys, and, and just speculating here, not official, but speculating between mm-hmm. Yarborough, Waka, Anderson, Fleming, probably a couple of those guys end up getting left off. There was some uh, chatter today that, uh, some chatter, excuse me, on Wednesday that they might, uh, they had talked about 12 pitchers and 14 position players. There's some chatter now they might go to 13 and 13, which could put Brett Phillips's position in jeopardy as well. Uh, I think they're going to go back and forth on a couple of those things. And knowing the Rays, if it's due at 10 o'clock, they'll make these final decisions 958.30 or so. Wow. Brett Phillips, that would be a surprise for sure. Um, certainly a guy that provides a lot of energy to that, to that clubhouse as well. Um, Mark, I, I mean, I just look at, you know, the starting pitching of the Red Sox, uh, and I see Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez and Nathan Avaldi, who was terrific. Of course, he, he pitched the, uh, you know, the play-in game, if you will, against the Yankees. That's an experienced staff over there. Uh, is that, would you say the starters might be, might be the strength of the Red Sox pitching? Probably the starters and, and that lineup. I mean, there's obviously some pretty good veteran hitters in oh, that yeah. lineup as well. I know they won't know until probably Thursday, maybe even game time Thursday, if J.D. Martinez will play. I think you know he fully is expected to be on the roster, but might not be mm-hmm. able to play the first night. Had an ankle issue that kept him out of the wild card game. But you know, go through some of those hitters in that lineup, and certainly uh, Thunder Bogarts. We saw him with the big hit in the wild card game. Um, they've added Kyle Schwarber. J.D. Mm-hmm. Martinez, we mentioned, they just, you know, did, uh, Rafael Devers. There's just so many guys in that lineup that seem to be kind of those veteran proven hitters, too, and patient hitters. So yeah. it, it will definitely be a challenge. I know the Rays were kind of taking the, the politically correct if they didn't care if it was Yankees or Red Sox. But either way, it was going to be a difficult veteran lineup they were going to have to face. No doubt. And, you know, I, I also think that as far as the Rays go, um, is there a concern at all about that's a lot of right-handed bats in that lineup. So is there concern at all about uh, the lack maybe of left-handed pitchers in the bullpen, or are they confident that a lot of their guys can get out batters from either side? Yeah, I mean, they they don't have a lot of lefty options, like you say. I mean, Josh Fleming seems to be the leading guy, and, and you know, maybe he, he is in some discussion whether he's even going to be on the roster or not. But, you know, uh, Boston doesn't have too many lefties, but you think they'd want at least one lefty to get in there. They do have some guys because of their repertoire and the breaking balls that they use that can do pretty well against lefties also. But, you know, the three batter limit changes this a little bit too. You don't obviously have the lefty specialist. That is still in effect for the postseason. The uh, extra, the runner in second rule does go away for extra innings. If there are extra innings, they'll play those traditionally. But you, you do wonder if you wouldn't be wiser to have a lefty included just because there are a couple situations where you're going to win against one of their better hitters. One of the things I think uh, anytime you're talking about the Rays um, this year, you, you have to talk about Wander Franco and the wonder of Wander. Um, this kid has, if it's possible, exceeded expectations, even though he's long been known as the best prospect in baseball. How do you think he'll react to this stage? I mean, this is, he, it seems like the bigger the series or game, he plays even better. But I don't know how much the nation has had a chance to watch this guy. Could this be his launching pad into, into superstardom? No doubt about it. I mean, I, I think, you know, and did a piece on it in the Tampa Bay Times on Tuesday or on Wednesday, excuse me. And, uh, you know, Kevin Cash answered the question you just asked me. And he said, I think he's going to love it. I mean, they just mm-hmm. expect Wander to take to this, to, to take to the attention, to take to the spotlight, to take to the stage, to take to the media attention. And, 
and really enjoy it. Now, look, 0 for 4 the first game, you can or an error in a key situation can change your mood real quick on any of that. But, <laughs> but I do think that Wander is in a in a place where you know he came back from injury, played pretty well. Um, you know, is fired up for this opportunity. Playing the Rays got a great break, Rick. The schedule just totally randomly of playing in Houston and playing in New York the last week of the season with the Astros and Yankees both playing for something. I mean, there mm-hmm. were big crowds. Those were large crowds. I was there. I mean, that Yankee Stadium crowd uh, Friday and then certainly again on Sunday was just roaring. And that was a great experience. And the race had some problems. I mean, there was a drop ball on the mound where G-Man Choi was involved. There was a mm-hmm. collision between Franco and a Rosarena in short right field. I mean, they had some issues with communication, but I think those were lessons that they will have learned and benefited from doing that. And I think it was also good for Wander to get a taste of what that's like, to be the focal point, to have people heckling you. I mean, Josh Fleming told us the funny story that he thought his name was F.U. Fleming after warming <laughs> up in the bullpen from what the fans were chanting at him. And Rosarena said he heard it nonstop, but since he doesn't speak much English, he just laughed because he didn't know what they were saying about him. So uh, those guys, yeah, they're going to hear it, especially in Boston. And I think this was a good experience that they did get to play in Houston and New York. Well, I certainly think it's going to be a different story offensively, Mark. I mean, a year ago when they got into the postseason, uh, there were some guys that really scuffled, right? Brandon Lau being maybe the most notable. Um, he swung a hot bat right until the end of the season. No one no one had more production than he did. Um, and, and the lineup, just it's just deeper, right? I mean, you add Nelson Cruz. Obviously, we talked about Wander Franco. You still have Mr. October and Randy Rosarena. So... How do you think uh, this postseason will look offensively as opposed to last year? Well, it, it certainly couldn't look much worse because that was one of their bigger issues was was the mm-hmm. offense, especially down the stretch there, especially you know against the Dodgers uh, outside of a Rosarena. And I do think there is deeper. There are more options. There are more alternatives. I mean, you, know, you can run these stats however you want, but I think since uh, in games where both Franco and Cruz are in the lineup, the Rays are averaging over six and a half runs a game. Uh, and it's not all them, but it's also not all coincidences. There's a trickle down. Rick, you played at, a, at you know the collegiate level. I mean, the pitching is going to be different. The batters are going to in front and behind of the better hitters are going to get different pitches. Teams are going to be more careful with other guys in the lineup and, and less careful with uh, maybe some of the guys they perceive as the lesser hitter. So it all works to the Rays' advantage uh, to have the deeper lineup, and, and I do think they will benefit from it now. Obviously, the Red Sox saw them. I mean, you know, Franco made his debut against the Red Sox. They played them. It was 13 games in about a 37-game stretch uh, from kind of like late July through early September. So they've seen each other. They know each other. And and the Red Sox certainly will have been familiar with Nelson Cruz from before he came to the Rays. But it it is a different look. It is a different line. There's a lot of options. I mean, Mike Zanino, you know, 30-something homers hitting near the bottom. You know, Austin Meadows, 100-plus RBIs, seems very quiet. Hasn't talked. We haven't talked about him much or written about him much lately, but 100-plus RBIs. Lau ended up with 39 homers, 99 RBIs. So there are a lot of options. I mean, they love the platoon advantage, and Kevin Cash has become a master at that, of, of having the pinch hitters available and using them most times at the right time. And sometimes we'll sit there, why didn't he hit this guy in the sixth or the seventh? Why didn't he use a guy now? And then you'll see them come back in the eighth or ninth and go with, two or three guys off the bench in a row and just change the, the entire dynamic of an inning. So they're very good at, at waiting and then seizing upon the opportunity to use the platoon to their advantage and have that bench. You know, it was funny in, in the, the Sunday game, a quick aside here, Rick, the Sunday game against the Yankees, obviously you know, Blue Jay fans and Red Sox fans and Mariner fans were all rooting for the Rays. And I post a lineup on Twitter and I start getting all these uh, you know notifications and I'm like, oh, I, hope I didn't have a typo or something. Why is everybody jumping on this? And they were all like, Kevin Cash is the boss. Kevin Cash is a savage. 
He's using his starting lineup in a game that doesn't matter. This is great. It wasn't any different than the lineup any other day. They don't really have like reserve guys. I mean, right, you're going to play right. Yandy or Joey at third base. Like, which is the backup? I don't know. You know, Mejia <laughs> played uh, first base, but that was uh, kind of by design one of the days in New York. I mean, they, they, they don't have backup guys per se. It's not like they have, you know, an old school team where there's three guys who sit on the bench every day, an old American League kind of standard and don't play, and then they play one day a week. It's a Sunday lineup. They don't have that. So, they mix and match these guys so often during the year that any combination seems to be effective. Yeah, and it has been effective all the way to 100 wins. I thought it was interesting. You wrote that, uh, you know, we know the Rays do such a good job in terms of breaking down other teams and all their tendencies. That's a big part of their success. But it sounds like that their scouts spent even more time this past month looking at both the Red Sox and Yankees. The Red Sox win. So is there even more you think that the Rays could possibly glean even though they play them every year as many times as they do? Yeah, you play 19 times a year, and in the Red Sox case, they played, I think, six times in the spring, too. But I think there's always information to be gathered. And, and I, you know, te- teams, some teams have gotten away from in-person scouting. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Rays have maintained a presence the whole time. I don't think they've ever abandoned it. But to see them kind of go back old school, to have a team of advanced guys, you know, guys that are following a playoff, potential playoff opponent for a month or so, uh, it, was, it was kind of, like, cool to hear, almost like nostalgic, that they yeah. still value the visual there and still value the opinion of their scouts and, what they see, and sometimes it's what they hear, too. I mean, just being at the ballpark, you pick up on stuff. You may know a guy you know, who's an assistant co- or a coach or an assistant trainer or somebody with one of the teams who goes, oh, by the way, we heard this about this guy. That may help you, whether it's for who you're playing or even a, a free agent, you're a guy you might trade for you know, during the offseason. You pick something up when you're at the ballpark. So I do think that'll help. But, yeah, Cash said there was a meeting today. They did have the team of three scouts that had been following the Red Sox, and, and he said he was looking forward to it because he goes, you know, they always have a different perspective on the field than the scouts sometimes do from the stands. And, you know, it's a very collaborative effort with the Rays. We talked about that earlier in this you know, interview, and uh, I, I think they welcome all opinions, dissenting, you know, affirming, whatever it is. You know, when you think about the Rays and the Red Sox, they got a bit of a postseason history over the years, don't they? Well, you could say the greatest moment, we've debated this many times, I think you and I have had this discussion, I mean, the, the three greatest moments in TROP history and Rays history at the TROP, you would say would be, well, I guess four, the first ever pitch, yep. Wade Boggs' 3,000th hit, mm-hmm. the final out of the 2008 ALCS, which was against the Red Sox, yep. uh, and by the way, quick aside, Kevin Cash in the Boston dugout as their backup catcher for that moment. Wow, And then there was the 2013 uh, ALDS where the Rays had that incredible end of the season. Remember, they were nine out and they came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they on the final day, they win in Toronto. Then they have to go to Texas, play game 163. They win that. They have to go to Cleveland, play the wild card game. They win that. They go to Boston. They're winning the opening game 2-0 in the fourth inning. And then Will Myers drops or misplays. or We still don't ever know exactly what happened. The fly ball drops between he and Desmond Jennings. The Red Sox come back and win that game. And that series goes south in a hurry. They lose in four. So two really good series with the Red Sox, the 08-7 game ALCS, the 2013 series that just changed on such a weird play. Uh, and they've had some chirpy and chippy moments during the regular season games as well. Yeah, no doubt. And some brawls back, even going as far back as spring training and things like that. Um, let us uh, let me let you break this down. So, uh, you know, their series was fairly close. The Rays won the regular season series. A lot of the numbers are, are, are comparable, Mark. Um, I think these teams are fairly evenly matched. I know, you know the Rays certainly have an advantage with what they've done in the regular season. Um, but how do you see this series going, and what, what kind of keys will you be watching to see if the Rays do, in fact, have the upper hand? 
Well, I mean, I think the you know the obvious one is because of the the Rays' bold move and going with the three young starting pitchers. I mean, Rasmus is only not a rookie because he qualified by service time uh, in by a matter of days with the Brewers last year. But essentially, mm. using three rookie starters, I, yep. I think you have to be a little suspect or at least curious to see how that works. But to me, the biggest unknown or the biggest concern with the Rays is their bullpen. They mm-hmm. don't have that three-headed lockdown monster they had last year. Uh, you know, Nick Anderson. I don't think he's going to be on the roster. He's been hurt. Diego Castillo got traded. Uh, they just don't have Pete Fairbanks is there. He doesn't seem to be as effective as he was last year. So they, they had the three guys last year. You could kind of go to any one of them and you'd think, all right, they probably have this. I, I don't know that that's the case this year. I think if I'm if I'm writing a game story in the ninth inning, which I very well may be uh, tonight, Thursday night in game one, and they have a one or two game lead, if Colin McHugh is on the mound or Andrew Kittredge is on the mound, I feel pretty good, although Kittredge of late, not quite as good as you would have felt earlier this year. Mm. If anyone else is on the mound, if it's Fireisen or JT Chargois or Fleming or whomever it is, I don't know that I'm real comfortable sending that game story and trying to get, get down to the interview room. So we're going to see how that goes. But I think that's the biggest concern, in my opinion, is how the Rays bullpen without those kind of lockdown guys that had the experience last year. I mean, this year was like Oprah. It was a save for you, a save for you, a save for you. Everybody <laughs> got one. There's 14 guys with saves. I don't mm. think that while that works the regular season, I don't think that's how you want to get through a postseason. I think you want to have a guy or two you know you can count on and maybe who's been there done that, and they don't really have that. Yeah, that 27th out is special in baseball. And to your point, Mark, I mean, a lot is going to depend on how well these young guys do go as starters. Can they get them to the fifth inning? In my mind, Mark, if you're using four, if you have to get 12 outs or even, you know, God forbid, 15, and you're using, um, you know, maybe four guys in relief, it only takes one guy to be off that night. You know what I mean? You could have a one or two run lead, feel very comfortable, and then everybody else could do their job. If one guy's a little off, you could be in a dogfight or lose the game. No pro- no doubt, Rick, no doubt. And that's always been, you know, kind of the tightrope that the Rays walk when they do have those games where they, you know, go with four relievers for an each rather than two guys for two each or one for three and one for one. So mm-hmm. they do put themselves in that position. They like to view it as, you know, it's a smaller amount of work the guy has to do. He has the fresh look. He has that to his advantage. You know, yeah. the hitters haven't seen him before. They're in and out. They're moving on to somebody else. There's always that benefit. So you can argue it both ways, but I, I do think that if you want to make it, you know, kind of oversimplify, yeah, you have to have, you know, four guys who all have to be on. If one guy's off, it can cost you the game. So how deep do they let this they go to the bullpen? You know, the schedule is a little more forgiving this year. It's back to the normal postseason schedule where they play two games and there's a day off. They play two games. Then they play two games and another day off if there's a game five. So, Last year, if you remember, they played every day because of the COVID rules. They wanted MLB wanted to move things along. So they played a whole bunch of days in a row, 12 or 13 days in a row. So this year, you can get a buy a little bit with a fewer, less, a fewer pitchers or at least having to bring them back less often because you do get the built-in rest days. Should be a fascinating series. It was a fascinating season. And after 162 games, Mark Tompkin is starting his second season, if you will, <laughs> the playoffs, which... You need to not write as many stories each day, Mark. Pace yourself a little bit. But you have to read them in the Tampa Bay Times. He's Mark Tompkin. Read them on TampaBay.com. Thanks, Marco. All right, Rick. Anytime, buddy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My favorite time of the year, uh, Steve Versnick. This is the, the baseball season, the playoffs. You've got NFL starting to get cranked up now here in October. College football in its big swing. And, oh, yes, the Tampa Bay Lightning are getting ready to start as Five well. Five days away from opening night. And they had a little brouhaha with the Florida Panthers Ooh, already. Yeah, that rivalry uh, ratcheted up real quick after their playoff series <laughs> yeah, last year. It did. If you remember that first game, that was the first game of the playoffs last year. Yeah. That crazy 6-5 to five game. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most, I won't say it was the best played hockey game, but that's probably the most exciting playoff hockey game I've ever seen. Mm. That was that game was crazy nuts, um, and, and if you're just you know that that was one where the casual fans just loved it. But you know, th- look, they've said for decades now here, there's a team in Tampa, there's a team down in Miami or Sunrise, and, and NHL has desperately wanted them to be rivals. But everyone has always said it's going to take a couple things. One, they have to be both good at the same time, right? And they need to face off in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, both are true now. I, yes. I, you could make a case, and, and we'll see. The two best teams in the Eastern Conference are in the state of Florida. Wow. Wow. Florida has, has – they were a very good team last year, and they've improved their roster. Still have questions at goalie. Uh, but they've, they've made some changes in Aaron Ekblad's back on the back end. They've added some depth in, the, on the, in their forward group. Um, you know, these are probably the two best teams in the division but maybe in the Eastern Conference. Mm. And so in Orlando on Tuesday night, and I was there, Sam Bennett decided to go hit Andre Vasilevsky as he was playing a puck behind the net. Now, he could have hit him a lot harder than he did. But you're also going towards him, and you know that's the goalie. The goalie's not expecting to get hit, and you still hit him, which may be even worse because you knew what you were doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then from then on out, it became guys standing up. I mean, it was Corey Perry. It was Boris Kachuk. Um, they were fighting, and it was fights all over the place the rest of that game. And it was, you know, guys standing up for their goalie. And, you know, you, you know you've got Andre Vasilevsky, the best goalie in the world. Nobody's hitting him. And, and the team stood up for him. And, and that's to a man after the game, that's what everyone talked about, uh, with the guys standing up and – you know, that can bring a team together, things like that. Now, Vasilevsky wasn't hurt, and, and you know, yeah. it wasn't a huge hit on him. But No, but you don't take liberties with the, the best goaltender in the no, National Hockey no. League. And in a preseason game. In a preseason game on top of that, yeah. yeah. So, but All I know is they carried one of theirs off the ice after that, after that round. Yeah, and, and, you know, but that's also how rivalries in hockey are formed. Yep. You know, yep. that bad blood, that... You know, and, and maybe for, you know, the first time in, you know, nearly 30 years of these franchises being around, that Tampa Bay, Florida is going to be a rivalry in the NHL, which would, which would be a good thing for both franchises. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, in the NFL, uh, for about, I don't know, an hour, maybe less, Stephon Gilmore was going to be cut and was cut or was going to be cut. Let me, let me backtrack from uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, he had been on PUP. They had mutually agreed to separate, and so everybody immediately started saying, "Well, the Bucks New signed England, him, right?" Tom Brady. Well, of course they must. They sign everybody. Everybody that's played with Tom Brady is coming here. It wasn't even a question. It was just done. Not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say. 
Uh, turns out that he was traded instead, which is always a good move. If you're a team that uh, wants to grab a player, you send them a draft pick. Not a high one, a sixth rounder. Um, but the bigger thing is that he went to Carolina. And, and I will just say this, and I'm guilty as anybody. I did not see the Carolina Panthers as one of the bigger threats in the NFC South this year. I still thought that Matt – I like Matt Rule. I know their defense was just terrible a year ago. They've made the biggest improvement on that side of the ball of any team I've seen. I think they're number one in the NFL right now. And I'm telling you, they were god-awful a year ago, especially up front. So Rule has done a nice job, and I think the trade for Sam Darnold has been terrific for Darnold, certainly good for uh, the Carolina Panthers. Now you bring in a guy like Gilmore, and, and everybody felt like, well – the Bucks aren't trying. They didn't even, you know, how can, you know, why didn't we get them? Well, first of all, you don't get every player, okay? Secondly, it was their player to trade, okay? So uh, this was not a free agent acquisition. You know, there might have been some thinking that maybe the Patriots didn't want Stephon Gilmore playing for the Buccaneers, right? Um, but they did trade him to, to the Carolina Panthers, and the fact that he's from there I think had a lot to do with it. Generally, you, when you have a player that's been as good as he has, uh, for as long as he has, you, you sometimes want to, you know, be agreeable about where they send you, um, since they were going to cut him anyway. So they may have asked him of, where he wanted to go. For all we know, very likely would have. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I know the been, pa- hey, we got offers from Carolina, we got offers from Tampa Packers, Bay, we got offers from yeah. here. And I don't know if they did have offers, but right. it is possible they had multiple offers and said, "Where would you like to go, Stefan?" Absolutely, absolutely, and and I'm sure that the that uh, the Patriots had their druthers as well. So anyway, he is going to be a Carolina Panther, and they are going to get just better on defense. And it's interesting that those two games against Carolina come in uh, weeks 16 and 18. There's 18 weeks this year, 17 games, one bye week. So that's going to be, you know, potentially, and we're a long way from there, obviously, but potentially that could have, you know, huge implications depending on how the Saints go, how the Bucks go, um, you know, for the NFC South title. Uh, you know, those final couple weeks. So It's, it's interesting because we, we talked during the early of the season that the back half of the schedule seemed to be easier than the front half. Right, right. Their last four games, the mm-hmm. Bills at home, the Panthers on mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, hold on, that's the Panthers schedule. Hold on, look at the wrong one. But the Bucks, the Bucks have the Bills on the, the, the week with five games to go. Then you got the two Panthers games. I mean, so, and we didn't expect the Panthers to be as good as they are at this point. Right, where you know that end of the schedule isn't quite as uh, as, as easy as maybe we thought at the beginning of the year. No, it isn't, and that's the that's the why you know every season is different. You want to know why teams have trouble repeating? It's because while you're won a Super Bowl and you you spent the money and brought everybody back, did you get better? How did the Bucks get better from 2020 mm-hmm. to 2021? Well, you'd say, well, Giovanni Bernard, Joe Tryon, Sharinka. Um, you know, pretty soon you stop naming guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess at this point you'd say Richard Sherman, who is, was never the plan and would not be here if not for all the injuries. So I don't think you're better with Richard Sherman. I just think you're trying to hold the fort. So, you know, if you look at it that way, and then what you don't count on is that just that, is that, you know, the program under Matt Rule has gotten better and better. They make a trade for a franchise quarterback. Um, they add some real good defensive pieces. They draft well. And now, now they're formidable. And then, you know, we still have the New Orleans Saints who are surviving pretty well with Jameis Winston at quarterback, still has a, a pretty good defense of their own. Um, those two games are going to go a long way in determining who the South winner is. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's year to year, and that's why, because other teams get better. And we saw the Rams get better with the trade of Matthew Stafford, and all of a sudden Arizona is the only undefeated team. Now, who had Arizona after four weeks as the only undefeated team in the NFL? 
Who would have said that that was the case? If right? anything, you would Especially, have said the Rams. You would have said maybe right. the Bucks. Yeah, you know, whoever won Green that Bay, game. whatever you yeah. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so you know, you're saying it's not a fluke, folks. They play in a tough division, the NFC West. They beat the Rams, where the Bucks got you know got blasted pretty much by them. They beat them the next week. So, yeah, it's a it's a new NFL each season, and you know the Bucks will will have to improve and find their way and get much better, and you know sort of. Um, try to hang on to what parts they have. It's going to be a while before we see Sean Murphy bunting or maybe Carlton Davis. And they've got, to, they've got to find a way to tread water. Now, fortunately, you know, they're going to play two games here in about four days. They're going to play the Miami Dolphins, who has not been a good football team. Uh, you don't overlook anybody in the NFL. They have a pretty good defense. Um, you know, right now, you know, Tua Tungavaloa is hurt. So, that, you know, they're, they're not elite at the quarterback position. But you know, then you follow that up in four days. You're on the road in Philadelphia. And the Eagles have done some nice things with Jalen Hurts. So you just don't know how the year's going to go. Uh, if they can get through that gauntlet and find themselves at 5-1, and one, then they'll get a nice little mini break, 10 days off or whatever, uh, before their next game. But uh, they're in a tough stretch right now just from a psychological scheduling standpoint. You know, you're playing – uh, a late game on Sunday in L.A. You're playing a late game, a night game on Sunday night football in Boston. Uh, I've suffered for the lack of sleep. I know that they are too. Uh, illness is part of it as well. So, I mean, all of that comes into play. But anyway, sorry to you Bucks fans. The the Bucks couldn't get Stephon Gilmore, but you will see him probably play against them uh, in later in the season. Tomorrow we'll preview that Bucks dolphins game. And, of course, we'll continue to follow – the AL Divisional Series with the Rays and the Red Sox. We'll talk about that on Monday. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 